The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. I've been traveling for a couple of weeks, um, and even though I only missed one Sunday, it feels like I haven't seen you guys in ages because I had a very full period of time, but most of you probably didn't even notice I was gone, which is great. Um, That's how awesome Artisan is. (laughs) Uh, But it is good to be back with you. It's nice to see your faces. So while people are coming into the sanctuary, let's get started with um, reciting our theme verses together. Uh, do you remember our th- theme verses? Somebody's cheating there with a with a uh, with one of these, which is what I'm going to cheat with. Um, but if you if you don't have this memorized yet, um, you can look at it in the Bibles under your chairs. It's on page uh, I can't remember. Is it 842? Yeah, there it is. It's on the screen. Uh, it's Luke 9 23 through 25, and we've been reciting this together. This is the theme passage for this whole series, which will conclude next week. So. Um, how many people have this memorized already? Okay. There's a few of you who have it memorized. I got, while I was away, I got a, uh, a video text message from one of the small groups that, were, that was reciting it all together, um, which was 50% awesome and 50% creepy. Because <laughs> at first I didn't know what it was. You know, it's just like these people all saying something in a monotone voice. I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's 2012. We're all going down. Um, <clears throat> But then I figured out what it was. I'm like, oh, that's so nice of them to send that to me. So let's say this together, Luke 9, 23 through 25. If you have it memorized, say it loud and be proud. Um, If you don't, you can read along with the text. Uh, Then he said to them all, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? All right. So that's our central verse here. And of course, we've been talking about what, um, what it means to live for Jesus every day because uh, a very casual reading of that text might sound like we all have to die uh, to serve Jesus. But when he's saying lose your life, you know, we've been talking about all the ways that we need to surrender various parts of our life to him. And that's what it means to lose your life for his sake. And so we've been talking about all these different topics, and today's topic is your mind. So before we dive into that, though, I would like to pray. So would you pray with me? God, we are thankful for this opportunity to dig deeper and look at the ways that we serve your son Jesus, our Lord, in every little aspect of our life, um, at every moment and at every opportunity. And though we fall far short of that, we're thankful for the, uh, the chance to see where the bar is set and what we should be striving for. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would be in our lives, empowering us and strengthening us to do this kind of service in 
every aspect of our life, for every day of our life. We pray these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today's topic is your mind, and uh, I, I found this, this uh, thing on Reddit this week. Anybody read Reddit? Um, can you show, them to that, show that to them, Rich? Um, can you read what that says? Uh, if you rearrange the letters in the word faith, you can spell microwave. Don't test it out, just believe me. <laughs> um, which uh, I'm sure was very popular with the, uh, the slash atheist um, crew on Reddit. If you know what Reddit, you don't know what Reddit is, that's okay, it's just an internet community. Um, but I think actually we win because whoever wrote this thought he was being smart, but he said it in papyrus, which is a sign that he's really <laughs> st- stupid. So. <laughs> um, so we win. Don't use papyrus if you're trying to be smart. <laughs> um, okay, all the font nerds have had their little tickle for today. Um, but I think this is, this is kind of the common understanding of what it means to be a person of faith. If you're not a person of faith, this is how we are perceived um, by m- many people who are not uh, religious. That we believe things on faith that are patently absurd and false, and if we had the tiniest sense of uh, intelligence, we would, of course, not believe them. Um, and I don't think that's true at all. Uh, but I, I'm very aware of the fact that this perception is reality for many, many, many people. And so the message description uh, that we put on the website back when this series began for today's message was a question. And the question is this. Is it possible to surrender our minds to Jesus and still think critically about faith and life? If we're going to talk about serving Jesus by surrendering our minds to him every day, does that make us into intellectual zombies who don't think critically about anything in their life, least of all about their faith? The question in in my mind is rhetorical. I, I think the answer is yes, or I wouldn't be here. Today, I literally would not be here today if I had to answer that question, no. Um, and I know that some of you feel the same way. And the verses that came immediately to mind, and maybe if you're a, if you're a student of the Bible, they came to your mind too when you saw this topic, are Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read to you these very famous verses from the Bible. And you can follow along if you'd like. Paul, in, in writing this letter to the church in Rome, says, I appeal to you, therefore, now, you know my rule, what is the therefore, therefore? We never look at a verse that says therefore without looking at the verse before it, except today, we're not going to, because <laughs> we don't have time. <laughs> um, but just know that it's, we're breaking the rule here. The, the exegetical rule is, what is the therefore, therefore? Okay, anyway, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Who's heard that verse before, those verses? Almost all of you are kind of making some move with your shoulder that makes me think you've probably heard that before. Um. But before we go deeper to that, I have a, a little bit of a confession to make about this topic. The confession is this, that it sort of got away from me. <laughs> um, 
this topic of serving Jesus with our minds is one of the first ones that, that I thought of when we were sketching out this series. And it's the one that I've been most excited to preach on all throughout. Uh, and the problem is when I sat down to do this and started to look at it and prepare it, I found that uh, I had bitten off more than we can really chew <laughs> in one day. And so let me say more about that. The, the, the way I'd usually approach something like this is to look in the Bible, to get a concordance or some textual tool, and find all the places in the Bible that use the term mind, and look at them, and, and look for patterns and consistencies and, and trends. And then I would sort of think about those and, and put them together into a sermon that I'd present to you, and you'd all think, wow, that was really moving. Um, <laughs> my life will never be the same after hearing that wonderful sermon. Uh, and then you'd go home and... I'll forget it. Um, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I would look at all these, these textual references, and I would try to put something together that makes sense. And there's a problem with this topic, uh, if I'm going to do it that way. It's a fairly significant problem with this approach. And it's a language problem. The language problem is this. The Bible was written in Hebrew and in Greek. We've talked about that before, and many of you knew that anyway. Um, but the word mind and the concept of the mind is vastly different to the Hebrew culture and the Greek culture. And neither one of them is actually the same thing that we think of when we say the English word mind or brain or intellect, which is where, where I wanted to go with this. Now, keep this in mind. I'm going to say a fairly long sentence here, so listen. I'll say it twice, but listen to this. Um, keep in mind that Christianity grew up and was expressed as a sect of a Hebrew religion that evolved its own distinct worldview within a Greco-Roman culture. It read its religious texts in translation. That is, it read these Hebrew religious texts in Greek without losing that sense of being Hebraic or Jewish. And it's best understood by us today as we read the scriptures, which are in English, (laughs) having been translated from Hebrew and from Greek. I'm going to say that all again because it's a big mouthful and it maybe didn't make any sense. Barely made sense to me. Let's see if we can get it this time. Christianity grew up as a sect of a Hebrew religion that, and then it evolved its own distinct worldview within a Greco-Roman culture. It read its religious texts in translation. So even the, the Greek Christians were not reading the Old Testament in Hebrew. They were reading it in Greek. But it didn't lose its Jewish roots And now it is best understood by us today as we read the Bible, which we have translated into English. So do you see the language problems that exist here? Now, this is, of course, true anytime we talk about anything to do with our faith. We have to deal with these hurdles. These linguistic gymnastics happen every week. And I think that almost all the time, it's perfectly fine to read an English translation of the Bible and to apply it to your life as it stands on its face, okay? Not that it stands on its face, you know what I mean? Um, It's perfectly fine to do that. You don't have to be a student of ancient culture or ancient language to understand the Bible. Do not hear me saying that, because I think that's, that's false. That gets said in some settings, but this is not one of them. But when it comes to the concept of the mind in Greek and Hebrew thought, it's even more complicated than than the average word because of the fact that they don't agree about what the mind means and neither one of them agrees with what the English-speaking world thinks when it says the word mind. 
So my usual approach of just going through and finding all the references to the word mind and synthesizing them and explaining it as best I can, that would, that would be an utter failure. Um, you know, honestly, it, I probably could just never have said any of this, and maybe one person in the room would ever have known the difference. But I don't have it in me to do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I can't think about it this way, especially because today's topic is about thinking intellectually about our faith. You know, it would be intellectually dishonest for me not to have given you that big, long explanation there. Let me give you a, a little bit more detail about what I'm talking about with these cultural things. When, when we say mind or brain in English, we're talking about the, the, the intellect and that kind of thing and thought. The ancient Hebrew world would, would have used the word heart to describe that same thing. Uh, and when we're, where we'd use heart as kind of like soul or um, spirit, the ancient Hebrew word would have used like stomach or gut or even bowels sometimes. And you can, you can, if you think about this, you know why this is true, right? The ancient Hebrew world did not know what, you know, all the biology that we know about brains and neurons and that kind of thing. But they knew where they felt things. <laughs> right here. Right? So it, that's, the, that's the dance if we were just reading a, a Old Testament Hebrew text. And in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, the word mind rather than meaning like uh, intellect, usually means worldview or um, outlook, your perspective on everything. So think about when Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, he says, let the same mind be in you, which was in who? Christ Jesus. And it goes on and has the, it quotes this beautiful old hymn. Look at it sometime. It's in Philippians 2. But he's not saying that you should share Jesus' brain in some Frankensteinian way, obviously. What he's saying is that let the same worldview be in you that's in Christ. So you should have a Christian perspective on everything. That's what that means. So the mind is kind of like the soul in Greek thought. And to give you a sense of how this thing can be hard to interpret, let's look again at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Obviously, we have issues with the second verse there. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And remember, Paul is using that word in the Greek language, but he has a Hebrew perspective, and so there's all this, there's this dance going on. But even in the first verse, which doesn't even get to the concept of the mind yet, what do we see? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, and if you have our translation, it says spiritual worship. If you're reading the NIV, I think it says reasonable act of worship, something like that. And this is a really hard verse to understand in English. It's hard to understand in Greek, too, uh, especially if you don't speak Greek. Um, <laughs> but it's hard to understand in English. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word is, is this word. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see it. You guys, um, some of you are word nerds like me. What does this word say to you if you're a word person? It's logikos. You know, the Greek pronunciation, we use a hard G sound, but we see it as logikos which, of course, we get our word logic from, right? And so when you hear spiritual worship or reasonable worship, how many of you thought, oh, he's talking about, like, being logical, <laughs> right? Nobody would think that. Um, the word reasonable is a particularly poor translative word, if you ask me. You can see it if you look hard enough. 
reasonable, not like, hey, let me borrow your car. It's only reasonable because I paid for your gas last time, that kind of thing. It's reasonable like rational. This is, this is the sensible act of worship, <laughs> to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which, of course, is what we're talking about through this whole series anyway. So it pertains to logos. The, word, the Greek word logos means word or reason. And um, the soul. <laughs> and that's why you get the translation spiritual. So we're, we're kind of all over the map on this. But the language stuff is really difficult. Um, it happens to be fascinating, too. Uh, to me, anyway. Some of you are like, oh, <laughs> no more language, please. Um, but it... it even though it's fascinating to me, it doesn't take me where I want to go with this topic, which is the idea of serving Jesus with our brains, of being uh, people of faith who are also people of intellect, and of destroying that false notion that people of faith are idiots. Um, That's one of my favorite things about this place. Like, you guys are so smart. I love being a, a pastor of a church with a bunch of people who are way smarter than me. Um, that makes me happy. So let's leave that textual nuance stuff behind for a bit. Because I want to talk about what it means to be people who, who uh, worship God with our minds, who serve Jesus with our brains. And, and, and as we understand the words in English to mean. Um, there's a verse that I think is helpful to get us off the ground with this. Something that Jesus said. Once again, it's a very famous saying of Jesus. Uh, it's in Luke 10, 27. And what he's actually doing is quoting one of the most important verses in the Old Testament, uh, which is Deuteronomy 6. Um, he's quoting verse 5. But 4 and 5 in Deuteronomy 6 are the Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema Israel. It's one of the most important uh, recited texts in all of Judaism. And Jesus is quoting it in in Luke 10. Verse 27, he says, in response to a question, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, "Um, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the person who asked him the question says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. The reason I like this verse for our purposes today is because it has all these body parts and and things in it. Doesn't it? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And so when we see a verse like this, all those distinctions about whether, you, whether it's your brain or your stomach or your bowels or your whatever, doesn't matter because the whole thing is right there. <laughs> so no matter which one you're responding to, uh, it's clear that we need to serve God and love God using everything we have. And for our purposes as English speakers trying to interpret these ancient Greek and Hebrew texts, that would certainly include our brains. So let's talk about that. And I will admit at this point that, that this will be less of a traditional sermon and more of maybe a, uh, a persuasive speech because this is a, a, this is a topic that's so important to me. It's something I'm really passionate about. Because I think sometimes we try to separate our intellect from our faith. 
we've already talked about the assumption or the accusation that, that um, within Christianity, especially our corner of Christianity, evangelicalism, um, that you'd have to be stupid to believe that. But also what I see, in addition to that force coming from outside our faith, I see something even more discouraging from within the faith, which is anti-intellectualism. And far too often, people of faith, Christians, reject the life of the mind because they say that is what the secular world does. That's what gives you... Um, pick your area of scientific or philosophical or psychological understanding that you don't like, that you think is incompatible with Christianity. That's where that came from. It came from people overthinking things. And that undercurrent of anti-intellectualism, I think, only makes that other thing worse, (laughs) doesn't it? Because people already think that we're being idiots. So if we refuse to think about things critically, they're just going to be proven right. So I see a very great need within our little corner of Christianity. And I must say that some other expressions of Christianity uh, do a better job with this. Roman Catholicism, I think, is um, much better at the life of the mind than Protestantism in general and especially evangelicalism. But in our little corner of Christianity, which is the one that we inhabit because it's the one that speaks to our souls and is the one that we think is the, the best expression of Christianity... There's a great need for people who, who do two things. First, they hold fast to the life of the mind and embrace their intellects. But, secondly, they stand up for the truths that are at the center of our faith, the center of the message of Jesus, even when those things are miraculous or, in some sense, unbelievable. Do you see the distinction there? Do you see the little tiny path that we are trying to... Uh, you know, make in this jungle with our little machetes. We're trying to walk this line between being people of intellect and being people who do not reject the center and core truths of Christianity. It's very easy to fall off that path in either direction and either say, well, don't think, don't think because it'll just ruin your faith, or to say, well, let's, let's think so hard that, you know, we stop believing the things that are most important to us. The resurrection didn't really happen. That kind of thing. And so, all I have for you at this point is three suggestions. And again, this is not traditional sermon stuff where, we, where I, I, I give you a big passage of the Bible and we exegete it and we dig it up and we try to figure out what it means. It really is me kind of sharing with you um, my heart and my perspective. So here are three ideas that I have for how we can love and serve Jesus with our minds um, this is, take it for what it's worth, okay? And we may have a few minutes at the end to, to talk about some of this. We'll see how it's going. But the first idea is this. Don't be afraid to use uh, logic and your brain and common sense in discerning the will of God. Don't be afraid to use your brain and especially simple common sense in discerning the will of God. One of my favorite stories in the Bible um, involves the early church having to make a really difficult decision. And we've talked about the details of that decision. We won't go into it now. Suffice it to say that when they made their decision and came back to the body of Christ, the church, and said, this is what we're deciding, what they said was fascinating to me. It's in Acts 15. They said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit 
and to us to make this decision. And then they go on to explain it. Isn't that interesting? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. (laughs) The implication almost being that if the Holy Spirit was leading them to something that, that didn't seem good or didn't make sense, that they might have had to dig a little bit deeper and think a little bit harder and pray a little bit more. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go 100% onto that conclusion. Uh, you have to be careful with that kind of thing. But it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Clearly, they were using their brains and common sense to make this decision. You can read about it in Acts 15. It really is, a, a, it, for that reason and a bunch of other reasons, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So don't be afraid to use your brain when you're trying to figure out what God wants for your life. One thing that I do sometimes is I... I make one of those real simple pro-con lists when I'm making a decision about something. And I incorporate very practical things, and I also incorporate what my faith uh, requires of me generally. So not only am I thinking about common sense, but I'm thinking about applying, using my brain to apply the general teachings of, of my beliefs to this situation. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Be willing to account for modern, present-day knowledge as you interpret the Bible. Uh, if you're thinking ahead of me, you're probably seeing what I'm slightly dancing around there. So let me, let me say it a little bit more forcefully. Do not allow a particular interpretation of the Bible to cause you to reject widely understood and accepted scientific knowledge. And understanding. You getting what I'm going at now? I am in favor of making a distinction between religious thought and scientific thought. Not because they are incompatible, but because they are different uh, uh, categories of thought. They are different fields of study. They are different disciplines, you might say. Let's, um, let me give you this analogy. Um, think about the creation story and think about going to a museum and seeing uh, a painting by Monet. Let's start with the painting. I could look at Monet and say, now, the truth is I don't happen to like Monet very much, but that's okay. I might say... Um, Wow, this is beautiful. These lily pads that Monet painted are amazing. And that's about as far as I could take you, because I am not a student of art. Uh, but Ariana, who is teaching our kids down at the other end, uh, is a student of art, and she could look at that same painting and say and explain to me, Monet made these lily pads using this kind of brush and this sort of technique with the brush. And the colors that he probably blended together are these. Uh, and the paint that he had in that time is different from the paint we have now. And, and she could tell me so much more about that painting than I could ever understand. Does that mean that Monet didn't paint the painting? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that the painting isn't beautiful? No, it doesn't mean that. So if you're looking, let's, let's shift our focus to, say, the creation story or other things in the Bible, perhaps. We can look at this story the way I might look at the painting. And a scientist could look at geology and uh, paleontology, and biology, and 
a lot of other ologies that I didn't pass the AP exam on, um, and say, this is how that happened. And I don't happen to think that those things are mutually exclusive. Um, The other art analogy that pops to mind is the difference between a photograph and a painting. I could take a photograph of the front of our church, and somebody else could paint a picture of the front of our church. And if you came to look at the painting and said, no, that's not artisan church. There's no, I, there's no wood in that or, you know, whatever you might say about the painting, that it's slightly abstract. Well, of course it's still artisan church, you dummy. It's just a painting. It's not a photograph. I would never say that word if I was talking about biblical interpretation, but I might have that sort of tone <laughs> um, or approach to it. So anyway, that's the second thing. The first one is don't be afraid to use your mind and your, your common sense and your brain in discerning the will of God. The second one is be willing to account for the modern knowledge that experts present to us and, and view that in light of what we see in the Bible and think critically about that. And by the way, if you're particularly interested in the creation science kind of tension, I would recommend looking up the BioLogos Forum, B-I-O-L-O-G-O-S dot org, BioLogos. It's that same Greek word, logos. Um, there's some wonderful thinkers there who are devoted people of Christian faith and who are brilliant scientists, including Francis Collins and um, Carl Guyberson and some others. So anyway... The third one and the final one for today is, is a little bit of a balance uh, because some of us um, already get this intellectual approach to faith, and in fact, some of us get it maybe a little too much. <laughs> so this is the, the third thing. It's kind of a warning to some of us. Don't be so consumed with the life of the mind that you neglect the life of the heart. And here, of course, I'm using those words in the, in the English-speaking world sense of, of them. Some of you have heard me talk about how there are those of us who come to faith very logically and very intellectually. And we can't decide to follow Christ until it all makes sense. Um, almost like a mathematician solving a problem. And there are others of us who come to faith very intuitively. And we can't follow Jesus and decide to, to turn our lives over to him until, until the story makes sense. Almost like somebody who's looking at a great work of literature and this story is true. Um, not in a nonfiction sense of the word true, but in a fictional literary sense of the word true. This story is truthful. So you have those two tensions, the people of intellect, uh, the mathematician Christians, and the people of intuition, the, uh, the literature Christians. And what I'd like to see us recognize is the, the balance between those two approaches. Most of all, more than anything else, I'd like to see us listen to each other and learn from each other. Um, and I love the fact that Artisan is full of really smart people and really artistic people. Um, not that those things are mutually exclusive either. Um, those dumb artists. Uh, but, but those mindsets are both so present here. And it's what a beautiful picture of community. 
And so I'd, I'd like to offer that third thing as a, a suggestion. If you're a person of intellect, don't become so consumed with that that you neglect the story. And if you're a person of intuition and story, don't become so consumed with that that you think uh, rational, critical thought is not important. So once again, probably the weirdest sermon I ever preached. <laughs> we were all over the place. We talked about a lot of things. Um, it's okay if this isn't true, but if there's a question or a response or anything like that, I'd like to give you a chance to offer your thoughts on this because you are really smart people. And we don't have a ton of time to do that, but um, I certainly would like to hear from anybody who has a thought. Yeah, Dan. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, great comments, and, and for the sake of the recording, I wish I could repeat them all, but um, the, the summary seems to be uh, be aware that, that, that things are kind of, your perspectives may change and hold things loosely and always be willing to uh, to go deeper and look more closely at things. And, yeah, certainly on the question of, of creation and evolution and that sort of thing, there's a whole range within the church, from total anti-intellectualism um, to people who, who really try to prove that, the, no, the earth is 6,000 years old, and that's what science actually says, to people who uh, concede age of the earth but not other things, and... Uh, you know, to people who believe in evolution but not in the Darwinian sense of it, and there's a whole range of it. I happen to be, I happen to land personally in the, in the realm of the BioLogos people, which is why I recommend it, but there's a whole, a whole host of other things too. But the important thing, as you've said, Dan, is, is to not only, not only accept things as we've been taught them, uh, whether it's Sunday school or grade school, um, but to think critically about those things. Yeah, thanks, thanks for that comment. Yeah, Nancy. Excellent question. Yeah. Nancy's question is, what do you say to somebody who says, yeah, sure, but you can't just pick and choose what's true in the Bible and what's not. How do you pick and choose? Well, um, talk about something that could be its in, entire own sermon. But the, the very quick guideline that I use is to look at the Bible uh, for what it is, which is not a book but a library. I've used that distinction before. Uh, the book of Genesis is not meant to be read in the same exact way as the book of Luke. <laughs> um, the book of Proverbs is not the same type of thing as uh, the prophets. There's genres of literature within the Bible, 
And you, one of the, part of thinking critically about the Bible is understanding this genre is poetry. This genre is history. This genre is uh, liter- literature. It might be a, a, a play, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So that doesn't, it's not an entirely satisfying answer to your question, but that's the general approach that I have is to think about the genres that exist in the, within the Bible. And, and whatever genre you're looking at will either say yes or no or in between, this is meant to be taken literally. <laughs> Maybe one or two more thoughts. Yeah. So Paul very kindly affirmed my starting with, with the language stuff, which is good. You know, at least one person in the room wasn't bored to tears with that. Um, but, but yes, there is always that issue of translation. And let me uh, piggyback on what you've said a little bit and say one more thing about that because I think it's relevant. Um, it's important to look not only at what we see today in the 21st century as we look at this, uh, but also what the church has historically said and believed about these passages. Um, because the, the further back in history you go, of course, the closer you get to Jesus himself. Uh, and some of those very early writings in the early church are only a generation or two removed from uh, Jesus. And so those things, I think, actually carry some weight. Um, and then you, you, of course, have to look at, as I said, modern understandings of uh, things outside the realm of religion or faith. And, and try to make those things compatible as best you can. But, but yes, remembering that, that this is a translation uh, is always important. And remembering the context and culture in which it was written is really important, too. Context is everything when you're trying to understand this, these things. So. Um, wh- one, two more, uh, Doug and then Dell, and then we, we need to finish up. Yeah, good point, Doug. Uh, any, any major world religion uh, comes to Americans uh, in, in translation. Um, you know, depending on how you want to define some of the American movements within Christianity, you, you might have... But even there, <laughs> there's allegedly some translation that goes on. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but, but, but that's helpful perhaps in defending our faith against people of other faiths, but it's not much use in defending our faith against... Uh, new atheism, for example, which says, "Well, yeah, that that means you're all nuts, basically." Um, but it's a it's a it's a very good point to make. Yeah, Del.
Good point. So Dell's raising the, the issue and reiterating the concept of worldview, and um, I like your, your quote there, first, seek first to, be or to understand and then to be understood. And so it's important when having this dialogue, whether it's with another person or with another faith or with another understanding of our own faith, to, to hear each other and not shout each other down. I, I would definitely affirm that. And, and of course, there is a point at which faith is required. Intellect will get you to a certain point, but it's not going to get you all the way. Otherwise, we would have the certainty of the Christian religion, not the faith of the Christian religion. And uh, certainty is not promised to us, my friends, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> um, but faith is uh, the key, as that old spiritual that we sometimes sing here says. Thank you for uh, all your responses there. I know there might be others, but we, we need to wrap up. Um, and uh, in a minute, we'll pray and take communion together. And I want to let you know, parents, rem remember that uh, our teachers kindly walked, their kids, walked your kids down here today rather than leaving them in the classroom or waiting for you to come down. So please get them and bring them in quietly as we're continuing to worship in, uh, at the table and in song. But let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for the minds that you have given us, the, the fact that you made us people who have the capacity for... Uh, critical thinking and rational thought and um, to, to go deeper into science and philosophy and uh, people who, who have an almost endless capacity to think and grow. And we pray that we would be able to walk that very difficult line of being subject to Christ and having the same mind and, and worldview and perspective in our, our hearts and minds that, that he had uh, in coming to earth and submitting to death for our sake. And then help us also to apply our minds to understanding the faith better and more deeply. And in all these things, we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you can respond now to, uh, to the, the word that you've heard, uh, some from the Bible and some from our, our brains. <laughs> um, and do that at the table of the Lord. Come and receive this bread and wine as food for your souls, remembering his body which was broken and his blood which was shed. And uh, maybe especially today, focus on the fact that this is a sacrament that unites us with each other, whether we agree or disagree about some of these finer points, and it unites us to other people, whether they are uh, anti-intellectual or uh, overly thoughtful or artists or scientists or math people. All of us come to the same table. It is the great unifier of our faith. And so I'd ask you to respond uh, as God leads, and we'll continue to worship him together.